Welcome back to the Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. Well, happy 50th episode, Pod of DC. We just celebrated this milestone, and I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who's been a guest or listener or supporter of the pod throughout this journey. You know, we started the Pod of DC to serve several purposes, to entertain and inspire and highlight some great work that's being done in and around our communities. So it was a lot of fun catching up with my next guest, who I've had a friendship with for over 25 years. Podcasting actually is what reconnected us, and I was approached by him to help him explore how he could use podcasting with his real estate business. Dave Moya is the owner of the Moya Group, the parent company of Three Stones Real Estate, one of the top real estate teams at Keller Williams Metro Center in Arlington, Virginia. Dave and I kick off this episode in his new studio, talking about excitement with what's to come for Dave and establishing his own podcast for realtors, buyers, and sellers. We talk about the fear that exists when you start something new and how effective communication and adaptability has played a crucial role in shaping his career. We go through the existing challenges in real estate from high costs to the pressure on realtors to continue to make transactions even in a down market. We discuss the importance of providing a positive and educational experience for clients and how Dave embraces AI in moving his business forward. Dave and I have had a ton of laughs and a ton of great times during this process. We had the unboxing party at his house with setting up his studio, and it's just been a real joy. And I can't wait to see what's in store for him and his plans to spread his value through this medium. So without further ado, here he is, Dave Moya. Enjoy. I bought an on-air sign that goes above the door here. (laughs) I love it. Lit lit up. It's going to light up when we're on. My hat's off to you, man. You went and took the initiative. You got these stands. Of course, you had some help with the mics and the mixer, but man, you you know, the headphones, you self-starter. It, that's what it takes. You want this to be a thing for you, and that's what it takes. You got to just boom. Do her. Just do her. Do her. Do her. Try it. Why is that so hard for so many people who know they want to start something, they want to do that? Why why don't they just do it? Is fear, it? fear of failure. Easy as that. And like fear of people's judgment because you fail. I have this insatiable curiosity of everything I don't know. I really, really want to know. Mm-hmm. And like, this was one of those things I've always been curious about. And then I found somebody and I'm going to soak in everything I can from you. And just because I love this idea. Yeah, and I love, yeah. the, I love the creativity that it, it could create. And yeah. I get to see somebody else that I care about and I love and I haven't seen it so long. And it's like, now I'm here and we get to share this. And it's a passion of yours. I saw it immediately when you set up your stuff and you came here. I'm like, he loves this. And your passion immediately fed my fire that I already have about everything I want to do that I have never tried. And here you come. And I'm like, I'm going to do this the right way. And we're going to get this set up. So I'm curious, like the pieces, like connecting the dots. My whole thing in life has been connecting the dots. I have a lot of little disparate things that interest and all that. But how do you actually connect it, weave it into something that either is can make a career out of or a fun hobby? Naturally curious, okay. In business, so kind of self-running a business, right? And so you know in this age, no boss. So you have to reach people in some way, shape, or form. So that's how you found and were drawn to this medium. Yeah. I think in general, communication, I've always known. I had a knack for it. I think the benefit for me has been my ability to, when I really need to get something across, I'm able to figure out a way that the person will absorb me, right? Absorb the message. Mm -hmm. And so I use that for my client's sake, for real estate. So I look at each client, I look at each property, I look at each location, and I feel like I, I can almost, in my mind, see what they would probably be more attracted to seeing as far as a communication style and medium. And I remember younger, what one of my jobs, job at EMC right after Xerox, I used to have to like get up and give speeches in front of like commanders, the Air Force. 
And I had to get up and put a microphone on and talk to about 50 of them about our products and try to be persuasive, and, but be smart. And that's where I learned how to think on my feet and speak about something complicated, more complicated than you should that's on your feet, right? So it's like, how do you talk about sand storage and you know, sipper nets and stuff like that and how everything plays into the you know, solution that you're planning to do? I had to read a lot of technical shit. I had to listen to my engineers and I had to like put it all together and then somehow come across in an influencing manner. To and likable. And right? likable and be different than my competitors because they all have likable guys. And I would meet them be like, and I would look at them and I would absorb all them, right? I would meet older guys that were in sales for 10, 15 years. I'm like, and I would just be super nice and just absorb everything. I could look at their body language, how they react, what their mannerisms were, and I would just mm -hmm. copy it and mm -hmm. try to make it my own and figure out where I play. And I think that chameleon type behavior has served me really well. And I think that's what people lack. They look at others with envy and not necessarily look at them with this curiosity of how and why. And I look at others and I say, what are their positive qualities? And I try to absorb them. Like, I want to be like that. And now I'm seeing it live and I almost identify, okay, that's how I'm going to do it. And then I'll mm -hmm. practice. Like the next time I go into a situation, I'm like, I'm going to be like that. Don't but, you feel like, but you're born with a little extra EQ or a little something extra yeah, that some people just miss is. cues, miss signs, miss social. Yeah, social cues, body language. Mm -hmm. I'm probably more on the spectrum of uh, nonverbal communication, understanding, right? Mm -hmm. See, so like with your arms crossed, you're thinking, but you also are defending because you can tell that I can read right through you right now. This now is just a comfortable that, position. That, that, yeah, that, exactly. See, that's the other thing. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's so funny. I'm messing with because you. An arm, I'm getting in your head. Uh, no, but in, <laughs> but in arms crossed, I totally get it, but I'm, just, it. I'm actually relaxed. trying to say sitting up in these chairs. Yeah. You know? I keep my arms crossed through a lot of concerts just because it's a comfortable place to keep my arms. Yes, for some it, people. I'm, I'm not impatient or but unhappy you, with what no, I'm seeing. You, it's just a comfortable... But remember that other people's perceptions matter, right? If you're communicating, at, you're at this time, you're not trying to communicate with me non-verbally. But if you, right. if you knew consciously how to control those nonverbal cues, that's what I used to do as a child. Were you sensitive as a kid? Did things bother you easily? What do you think? Oh, yeah. For sure. So don't you think these things are connected? The blessing can be the curse. What you are blessed with and being able to read and respond and non-verbally communicate is also likely to overreact or be a little oversensitive to those things. 100%. Right? If you're in that room with those Air Force generals, right, and they're looking there, they've got their arms crossed and their faces are stone straight. You're going to start feeling it's not getting through. I'm not landing it, right? Yep, and it happens, and then that's you get nervous. And I've had so many of those events that I've learned to not be as nervous because at first, when you're young, you freak out, right? You get scared. You're like, I'm doing something wrong. What do I do? And I've learned that I, there's certain things I have to do prior to doing something like that that mm -hmm. will allow me an exit. And also keep me confident, even if it doesn't work. I already know what I'm going to do next. You know, having just a bullet point list in front of you of, okay, this, right. this topic's not, we're not hitting anything here. Pivot. Pivot. So pivot, pivot, and then pivot again if you have to, whatever. Whatever you have to do, that comes with practice and like, you know, education and learning your craft. And the same with real estate. So when I'm in front of somebody, I'm trying to become their representative to sell their house. You know, they're like, I'm talking to five other agents and, the, you know, this other agent is, you know, and I'm like, I'll pivot, right? I'll be like, listen. It all depends on the person. You kind of figure out over time how people perceive themselves, where they are in their life. All these things impact your decisions. My coaching to agents has always been value yourself more than the sale, 100%. Sure. So value yourself more than the sale. You decide what that value is and you set that line. 
And it's if you're if you think you're giving away business by not trying harder, that's wrong because you're giving away your you value and you're lowering your value. You don't you won't get that back. Right. Not easily. Not in their eyes and not, not in, in yours. Not right. in your eyes. And not in, in here. Eyes. And that selling of the soul affects you. And I have given up forty percent of all the business in front of me to take the sixty percent that I was able to keep. And that's actually not a bad number for someone that does the philosophy I have. Usually it's the other way, forty percent you take and sixty percent you lose. But I'm able to chameleon. I'm also able to coach my clients and draw out some of these issues that they have, the reservations they have about working with a salesperson. It's usually about working with a salesperson because they think realtors are salespeople. It's a, sure. That's Anything what, that has a title sales, even though that's what all of us do, whether we know it or not, in any capacity, whether we're negotiating with our kids to get them to transition and go do something they don't want to do yep. or Everything. drive a transaction. Right. Everything is a negotiation. So I think in the end, I've always had this philosophy of if you're driving to succeed, the level of your success is only based on the level of value that you have for yourself. So if you have not studied hard enough, you can fake it for a while, you can pose for a while, but long run, you're not going to be that value. And how does that, how does that transpire in real estate? I think that a lot of people, when you start this business, you have to fake it to make it. You just have to. And I've heard people lie about know, like they've done numbers, more deals than they yeah, have. Yeah, numbers, lie about their numbers, numbers, how much sales they have so they can get the deal signed. People Is wondering. there a number they have to hit for them to keep their employment? Brokerages don't pay you anything. They take from you. They don't give you money. Okay. No salary. It's 100% commission. And it's not even that. It's, it's a business. So you invest. The cost to keep your license is 10000 a year, a minimum with all the fees and things like that. So that's why people drop out. When they don't have business, they're like, this is too expensive. I can, I'm not going to keep this running. It's a loss every year. You're going to make transactions. And so it's, it's pressure. So people who are under pressure, do whatever it takes, right? If they're, if they're losing money, they'll do whatever it takes. And right. I, I see it all the they're time. And, and again, this is why there's so much angst in our society right now to look at it as, what is this business? Why, why are we paying so much commission? I believe the Real estate should be like the apprenticeship model. You cannot get licensed until you sit under an experienced licensed agent. That you should not be able to do transactions out in the field openly with the consumer because that's just harming the consumer. And I believe that still. So, pass your, so go ahead and get your license, pass the test, right? Now you have to spend six months with an experienced agent who's going to sign agent. off on you. You're going to do the work that they tell you to do. And you're going to have to go through certain phases and take certain tests during that period of time to show that you've went through the apprenticeship. And like that's what soulful agent is going to be. My soulful agent model is not just coaching. It's going to be a model that, of progress that tells the public that not only is this guy or this girl trained in a way of sales that is not going to harm the public or harm them, it's just going to enhance the experience into a positive light. And it's going to be more of an education type of situation where you are an agent educating buyers why this property is so good. Right. I'm a consultant. Make a decision based on logic. And I tell my clients, the market would tell you what the price of your property is going to be. My job is to get foot traffic there, enhance it, and make it look its best. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. And I, and I do it in a way where, where it's the least stress on you. I take all that off your plate. That's what you pay me for. And you pay my team to help me do that. And so if we can make it a low-stress situation, and you can move to your new situation in your life, isn't that worth paying for? Absolutely. For me, that's what I'd look for. 
Do you think if there was a steady, some kind of salary included with not only the 100% commission, you think that would keep people from having to... They have businesses called Redfin that used to pay salaries. Okay. You know what they just started doing this this last quarter for the first time ever? What? Stop paying salaries to realtors and started paying them commission. You know why? Why? What was the motivation of that person to sell that house? Or was there if they're getting paid regardless? None. Right. Zero. What was the motivation to be honest to the seller about what their house is worth when they're not getting paid on based on the sale and they're only getting paid on the based on the listing signed? None. So what happens at every listing that Rodfin got listing signed, every single one of them was overpriced by like leaps and bounds. There was no controls. So then what? What happens? And so the, so and the market the speaks. And the no market one... speaks. No one buys it. And the seller drops price ridiculous amounts in a market where thing, everybody's selling above. But they were sold on this price by this agent who doesn't care if they sell or not. They got paid on the signed listing agreement, not the sale. That's salary. So my job is to figure out a way to get the sale because I put all my risk and eggs in the basket. And if I don't sell it and it expires, I lose everything. Like I've got two that are coming up on expiration right now that I spent at least three to $5,000. How, how does the expiration work again? You, you, you have to have an expiration on a listing. So usually, you know, I do 90 days. I only want to be on market 90 days. If some market 90 days, we don't sell, something's wrong. Do they leave you as an agent if nothing happens in 90 days? Or all will depends, they... right? Market right now, days on market is going up, straight up. Nobody was buying for a while. So. What's the trend now? How many days on market? Northern Virginia is trending upward. We're at like 30. We were in the teens recently. Now we're in the 30s. So that's a you know a third higher over in like less than a month. All because of rates. All because of rates. Not the economy. I think jobs are strong. People are getting salaries. Buyers have money. They're just looking at a monthly payment that they're just shocked again. Oh. I looked at that payment like, holy crap, I could afford it. I, they, the bank told me I could get the loan, but it was big. Right? How am I going to pay for my partying and booze and all the trips I want to take? Important stuff. Right. So it's a sacrifice. If you want to own something, you pay for it. 50% of your salary is probably going to go to mortgage. The model is 30%. That's not, I was going to say, that's accurate. the fiscally responsible is what, 30%? 30%, but that's yeah. not accurate. It's 30% of your gross. Okay. Who lives off gross? Nobody lives, Nobody off, lives you, off gross. You live off your net income. Right. And your net income, if you look at net income, typically it's around 50% of your net income goes to housing. That's normal. Educating the, the consumer on what's the right thing for them. I've talked buyers out of buying, right? Because they're just, they want Not it. when the rate's right and the price is right. No, when the rates are right. Talk what aspect people. of that? Because I'm just looking purely as a transaction, right? Mm -hmm. That where the rate is low and the price is, you know, it's fair. Yeah. Why would you talk somebody out of something like that? Some people aren't at that point in their life where they really can take on something like this without damaging their ability to be happy. Okay. House poor? House poor? House poor is a great example of something I use with buyers all the time. I tell them, do you enjoy dinners out? Do you want- Absolutely are you, are not. You, are you, yeah, exactly. Are you ready to make that change? I want ramen every night. <laughs> are you ready to make that change? Are you ready to budget? Or are you thinking about doing a side gig? Right now, this world is so interesting because you can pick up a side gig and make an extra $20,000 a year right? You can. You really can. More people should be doing and, that. And a lot of people do do that once they find a home that they like. So I tell them, look, I get it. You're squeezing yourself now, but be prepared. If you're not a side gig person. Small investment, but. And budgeting time. Actually, what you're time. budgeting instead of the finances for, you know, do I go out to dinner or not? Now you're budgeting your schedule for that day. Okay. Yeah. I have a nine to five. What are you going to do from five to nine? Exactly. Why okay. don't you put that investment 
into that time to refine. I agree. And I think that if more people, the older folks, our generation, had that capability, we probably would have done more of that. I do it, right? I've always had dual-hatted. Try. I mean, I have three, five careers. I don't even know how many careers I've had. A lot of them. Careers meaning not just different places of employment, but literally different industries altogether? Yes. I'm so insatiably curious about so many things that if I fall into one where I'm like, oh, this kind of is cool, I make money, and it's helping my bottom line of things, then I do it. Like property management, I didn't really need to do that. Not many realtors do property management on top of doing real estate. It, it seems like it's synergistic, but it's hard. But I did it, and I created a business behind it, and it's been doing well. It's literally pays a mortgage or two. So it's residual income. It's the only residual I have. Because real estate is a sales transaction. Without transaction, there's no residual, there's no income. And like right now, it's scary. A lot of agents are scared. They're not making money. They're like freaking eating up their savings pretty fast. And so it gets scary. You, you have to, just like any sales, if you don't make a sale and you have no base salary, what do you do? Historically, though, do you feel like this is more of what has been normal throughout the last 50 to 70 years? That we were just in a little bit of a bubble, like a very low rate coming out of the Great Recession. Yeah, right? coming out of 08, 09, we had the Great Recession and people decided that I don't want to do this you know, housing thing for a while. And literally, we, demand dropped off the face of the earth. I've never seen demand collapse before. Not like that. Because you were doing this then, right? Yeah, yeah, I was in it yeah. in Florida. And uh, that market really took a hit really bad. So people just selling off or just can't meet their nut. And so they just, they, it goes under foreclosure and that sort of thing. Right. Correct. Cause I feel, I don't think I had ever heard of foreclosure. Didn't know what it was until that whole time. Foreclosure is a natural part of our business. It's a necessity for, and it's always been there. It's just the numbers, right? And we have foreclosures right now all the time. And so, but the macro trend is not into the foreclosure. The, the foreclosure rate in America is, is typically less than 3%. The default rate on credit cards right now is 4.4%. They just released that today. That's And so that's a jump, 50% jump since uh, this time last year. It was 2%, 2 and, two and change. But like you said, though, there's money out there and jobs and growth, job growth every month over month. There seems to be added jobs. And so, yes, there are jobs. But I think what people tend to not look at is what the cost of things are versus what people are living. So there's a generation of kids who are in massive debt, student loans. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. it's way worse than university. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had $10,000 in debt when I left JMU and I thought it was the end of the freaking world. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm never paying this back. How am I going to do this? What was the rate on that? Do you remember? So I had to consolidate and I got six and a half. You know what their rates are now? Oh, God. 12. They're oh, paying God. 12, man. No way. Yes, on consolidated on education debt. Dude, that's man. criminal. And that, I don't even understand how that even possible. You know, 10, 12% is normal. That's why they're like, I can't get out of underneath this. I'm paying interest only and I can't get out from the balance. Aye. So it's, 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 a, it, it's they've, been, they've been stealing from, from kids because they're young, whatever they, the financial world thinks that they have to do it. And everybody had to go to college, right? No one can be an HVAC tech anymore, an electrician, you know? Why not? We need yeah. some good qualified. Well, that ones. needs to come back. What's, and it is. I think so. I think it? people are just yeah. like, you know what? Trade. Why not? You can they have to. Get, yeah. Community colleges have gotten stronger, good mm -hmm. curriculums, good programs. I think that's coming back too. I, I just think that it's a need. And I think that we'll see all the AI is going to change a lot though, man. For my, my business is already changing. I'm seeing it where I would necessarily need, you know, multiple admin 
to do a lot of the work that I had, which is a huge expense. And because of that expense, I needed to have other agents that could utilize that, that labor. I need one executive assistant really to help me. I like doing all my own stuff still, even though AI helps me. I still rewrite all my marketing and do all that. But I used to have to have agents generating more business for me in order to afford my staff because I needed two or three people to help me full time. So now I can actually reduce that by one human being without, that doesn't have to monitor my content, doesn't have to like tell me where to place ads. There's a lot so of. So you're taking that on now yourself? Yeah, because I can, uh, with AI's assistance. And some prompts. And- yeah, well, there's tools out there now that are amazing. Amazing. If I want to find you, I'm going to find you. If I, if I want you to see my ad, I can have you see my ad. I can figure you, I can figure you out, right? <laughs> and if I'm like, all the things I've always known about my business and didn't really know how to utilize my talent in understanding human beings and their nature and educate influence. them. Influence. Influence, right. Great. Influence them to take a second look at something that they already have a preconceived notion of what it is and then change their perspective on it or open their mind to something new. Yeah, so if I can right. do that and open their mind and say try this, don't be afraid. That's what makes me excited about this business because every house I sell is so different. And sometimes I get bored of it cuz it's almost too similar and I and I have to try something new and this is where this comes in, right? Being creative is part of this nature that I think every good realtor should have that appetite to learn the next step, to learn the new thing and then bring that to their clients to their benefit of the people that that are counting on them. So I look at that as my clients are counting on me to be cutting edge and I hope that this helps them someday. So as as a give back to the realtor community right now, what are three things that you think they should be doing in this tough market? Inventories down, longer sales windows, I think uh, higher rates. I think they need to be honest. Educate people about why you have a home. Why do people want to own their own home versus rent someone else's? Take this time to learn your craft, to do something creative. Give something back to your clients, the next one, and the next one, and the next one that's new. Be in front. Lead. Mm-hmm. I believe that education is our pivot. Teach what I've learned, my lessons, and talking like this with you and talking and letting people hear the experience. What I think we will do is eventually just talk through certain events that have happened and experiences that other people can get and learn from so they don't have to make that mistake. You know, my experience is why they hire me versus someone else. The barriers to our transactions in real estate are very high because the transaction costs are so high. Imagine if you reduce the transaction cost. Would more people sell and move? I think so. I think it's a natural supply and demand thing. If you remove the barrier or lower the barrier, you're going to get more transactions. So people are afraid to lower their commissions. But AI, I'm hoping... It's going to save me money, right? So I was just telling you, I'm saving money. I'm one less admin, hopefully. What am I going to do with one less admin? I could spend more time with clients and do more things that will help entice their value and get more things selling. I could also reduce my costs. And I'm going to pass that through to my clients. There's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. So if we're trying to sell a property, but who can do it better? And who can do it more creatively? Who can come up with a better idea? So even now in these kind of difficult times in your business. Why stop and throw in the town now? Well, that's what a lot of people do. Keep changing, keep evolving. Yeah, keep evolving and you will succeed. And I think that if you don't give up, that's success in itself. 
I almost gave up because I was getting bored. So this was down, that when things were good, or when yeah, things, when yeah. things are good, things are good. I'm so stressed, but then I sit back and what like, a dick. <laughs> I know, I'm like, oh man, I can't just, I can't. And then my wife tells me this all the time, I can't sit when things are good. I'm like, ah, right time for change. Right, it gets uncomfortable sometimes. Yes, mm-hmm. when things are perfect, sabotage, self sabotage. I'm like, all right, I'm done with this one. Just that whole self sabotage and the yeah. the uncomfortableness of you're successful because you've worked hard and you've earned it, but yet it still doesn't feel right to you. I agree. All right, man. Thanks for being on the pod. Thanks for uh, you getting your initiative underway. Yeah, I appreciate you setting this up. Um, unboxing party. It was nice. Yeah, that unboxing party. That's that right, cool. man. Once you told me, hey, I'm ready to go, I'm like, done. This, this, this. I'll be over. We'll set it up. This is cool. This is from your studio. These microphones are nice. Yeah. For, oh, this is our first broadcast from the new studio. I'm excited for you, man. Yeah, man. Let's and I do appreciate this. what you bring to the markets, and I appreciate you. Your brain always moving, thinking about, hey, it's not just enough to transact, but it's more to connect, to be honest, to drive value for them to see the value, the equity they build. It's the biggest asset they'll ever own. How can we cultivate that into a healthy transaction? What else is missing in this whole thing? Whether it's consumption, whether it's marketing, mm-hmm. and bringing on new tools and new resources, man. So props to you, buddy. Dude. I enjoyed this. I love you, buddy. Good seeing you, buddy. Love you too, man. This was fun. Yeah. All right. And thank you all for listening and supporting the pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein, and we'll talk soon. The pod of DC is a Voice of DC production. To catch up on previous episodes and to follow and subscribe, type in the pod of DC wherever you get your podcasts.